Chapter 17 of The Radio Boys on the Mexican Border by Gerald Breckenridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 Inside the Cave. What is it? whispered Tom Bodine, to whom the sound was unfamiliar. Sounds like machinery of some kind. It's an airplane, Jack answered. Airplane? An airplane, said Bob, low voiced. It's better than that. It's our airplane, if I know anything. Right, oh, Bob, agreed Frank. I know that old baby's voice a mile off. They've shut off the motor, said Jack. They must be going to land. But where in the world could they land in these hills and in this darkness, too? Tom Bodine slapped his knee. That's it, he said emphatically. That must be it. What? asked Jack. Why, there's a big level place just below the cave I was telling you about. A plateau, smooth as the floor. The hum of the airplane had died away. The boys and their guide never caught sight of the machine in the darkness. Suddenly Frank pointed in the direction whence the sound of the airplane had come, ahead and slightly to the left. I thought I saw a light there, he whispered. It was just a faint streak of orange, and now it's gone. Look here, said Bob to Tom Bodine. Does that cave face this way, or is it on the other side of the hill? It's on t'other side, answered Tom, and near the top. Well, I bet you there's somebody in that cave, and the light that Frank saw was some kind of a signal to the airplane. The big ex-cowboy scratched his head. Maybe you're right, he said doubtfully. I don't know about such things, but who'd have thought the cave would be discovered? Why, well, I just came on it accidental like once when I was wandering round these hills. Boys, there's only one thing to do, said Jack in a determined voice, and that's to investigate. Right, oh, Jack, said Frank eagerly. Here's our chance to get back our airplane. You said it, declared Bob. Let's go. Not so fast, said Jack. First we must have a plan of campaign. Tom, what's the lay of the land? How far away is the cave? Would it be better to leave our horses here or approach on foot? Cave's not more than half a mile from here, answered Tom. Just round the shoulder of this hill they're on right now near the top. I told you about that big rock in front of entrance, and them three lonesome trees in the foot that gave you the bee line to the rock. Well, we can get up to them trees without being noticed and tie our horses there and sneak up by foot. Is there only one entrance to the cave? Only one, answered Tom. There's a kind of chimney up through the rock at the top of the hill, but nobody could get out there in much of a hurry. We won't have to worry about that. Frank had an idea. How far would those fellows in the airplane have to go to reach the cave after landing? Oh, let's see. About as fur as us as I can reckon. Maybe we can cut them off before they enter the cave, said Frank. They'll be busy about the airplane for several minutes before they start to make their way to the cave. How would they have to approach the cave? Same way as us from the trees on, said Tom. Well, if we hurry, Frank declared excitedly, maybe we can capture them before they reach the cave. Right you are, young feller, approved Tom. But we'll have to leave our horses behind or they might give us away can't tie them to those trees like we planned we can't hobble them said jack thinking quickly because they would wander aside a little distance anyway and we may want them again in a hurry tell you what said tom seems like i remember a clump of trees just the side of them three i spoke about we can tie them there and them fellers in the machine won't have no horses so ours ain't likely to nicker good said jack you lead the way and we'll follow Presently, at a low-spoken word from the guide, the boys dismounted and tied up their horses. Then Jack, carrying his rifle, and the others following close at his heels, revolvers in hand, they pressed on toward the three trees forming Tom Bodine's landmark. As they reached the trees, low exclamations burst from the boys. 
Hitherto they had been cut off from the plateau by the shoulder of the hill. Now it lay below and before them. This of itself would not have permitted them to see, as the darkness was intense. But now the scene was illuminated by a number of oil flares struck upright in the ground in a rude circle. And right in the middle of the circle was the airplane stolen from Bob and Frank. There could be no mistaking the all-metal body, nor the peculiar wing spread, even at that distance of close to half a mile. Several figures were moving about as the boys looked on. These seized oil flares and started moving toward them. "'Here's where our turn comes at last,' said Frank. Jack laid a hand on his arm. "'Better than that, Frank,' he said. "'How many do you make out?' Three is my guess.' "'The two men in the airplane and the man in charge of the cave,' said Jack. "'Dollars to donuts, the cave is undefended right this minute. "'What do you say to capturing it and laying for them there?' All four were grouped together, and consequently all heard Jack's proposal. Bob and Tom Bodine agreed eagerly. "'Lead the way then, Tom,' said Jack, "'because you know the route, and be quick.' Swiftly, yet with all cautiously, because the cave might be defended, they approached the big rock. As they sidled around it, a gleam of light from the mouth of the cave at the rear of the rock fell athwart their path. Involuntarily, they drew back. Then Jack brushed Tom Bodine aside and took the lead. His repeater thrust before him. Crouching, he entered the mouth of the cave. A moment later, his whisper came back. The coast is clear. But the others already were at his heels. A hasty glance around revealed the first of the two chambers which Tom had said the cave possessed, was luxuriously finished and lighted by a powerful electric bulb enclosed in a huge frosted globe suspended from the middle of the roof. There was no time for further investigation because Jack already was pushing on toward the heavy hangings at the rear covering the mouth of the second chamber, and the others clung to his heels. Parting the hangings quickly, Jack threw his rifle to his shoulder. Then he and his companions received their second big surprise. The room was empty of human occupants, but it too was brilliantly lighted, and it was a radio broadcasting station. To the trained eyes of the boys that much was apparent at first glance. In one corner of the tremendous cave hummed the dynamo. From it, of course, came also the electricity for the lights. Before they could pursue their investigations, however, Tom Bodine, who had dropped back to the outer entrance, issued a warning hiss. Then he darted across the outer room and joined them. Three of them, he whispered. They'll be here in a minute. Good, said Jack, taking command. We'll give them a surprise. These hangings are fastened to rings on a big pole up above us there, and they'll slide easily. Tom, you and Bob grab the hangings in the middle and be ready to pull them aside when I say the word. Frank, you and I will stand here in the middle and keep them covered. All took their assigned positions as the sound of voices was heard at the outer entrance. Jack peered between the two folds of the hangings and smiled with satisfaction. Let's go, he said. The hangings flew aside. End of chapter 17